Support for Spoleto Backstage is made possible in part by Brook Green Gardens, presenting Bruce Monroe, Southern Light, an outdoor immersive exhibit featuring seven large-scale works of art and light. Now open Wednesday through Saturday evenings. Advanced tickets are required and are available at brookgreen.org. Hello and welcome to Spoleto Backstage. It's your ticket not only to a few of Spoleto Festival USA's most memorable performances, but also to some of the behind-the-scenes action and the personalities that have made it all possible. Even in this unprecedented year without a Spoleto Festival, a year without so many different things, there's way more than enough to explore and enjoy from past seasons, plus plenty to catch up on when it comes to some of the festival's longtime stars and chamber music heavyweights. I'm Bradley Fuller, and I'm excited to share with you some of a conversation I had with Peja Mutsievich, a pianist, foodie, music programmer extraordinaire, and regular presence on the stage of Charleston's Dock Street Theater. That's coming up, along with some great music. And first, I have to say it's a treat to be joined once more by that emphatic, energetic MC, the artistic director of the Spoleto Festival USA Chamber Music Series, and a regular performer in it, too, Jeff Nuttall. Jeff, really great to have you again. Bradley, thank you, and thank you for making this happen. It's It's been a bittersweet time, but this has been a real joy for me to go back in time and look through those previous 10 years and pick 11 programs that I think are, are some of the best that we've done. You know, this program is one of those sort of the formula program, the idea that eclecticism is important to me, new meeting old, all coming together. In the case of the Rachmaninoff Sonata for Cello and Piano, Inan Barnatan and Elisa Weilerstein we're touring this piece together around the world and said, hey, we'd, we'd love to play this on stage at Dock Street. What do you think? And I said, absolutely, to have performers of that stature coming together on a piece that they know so well. It's, it's a magical coming together, so to speak. Georg Philip Telemann, Tony Manzo comes and says, I found this amazing suite based on Don Quixote. You think we could do it? Absolutely, yes. Andrew Norman, a great American composer who lives in California, a friend of James Austin Smith. And James said, hey, there's a really beautiful piece for oboe and piano called Garden of Follies that I'd love to do. So suddenly there's that formula, something new, interesting, unknown, Andrew Norman, something Baroque, but somewhat also unknown, but really inspired and quirky, uh, the burlesque de Quixote. And then this lush, massive, virtuosic sonata by Sergei Rachmaninoff for cello and piano. And for me, that eclecticism is sort of what, what sums up and what makes me happy and hopefully what makes our audiences happy on stage at the Dock Street Theater. Do you ever conceive of yourself as a chef kind of putting together, you know, a, a plate or a dish, you know, a balanced table before a patron? Well, I think it's, yeah, I think it's really important, a little bit of history, because they, uh, in the old days of Charles Wadsworth, uh, none of the programs were printed. So when you came to a show, you didn't know what you're going to get. So I think eclecticism was a necessity. You didn't want to show up and hear all Telemann or all Andrew Norman, for example. You wouldn't be that happy. So I prefer this kind of listening. My, my eclecticism is, is part of my musical being as well. But I think you're totally right, Bradley, that to try to find that perfect balance of sweet and salty, so to speak, uh, on a program is really important to me. Well, in the first bite of this program, the, the first food item that we tuck into, if you will, to extend that analogy, is Andrew Norman's Garden of Follies, a work for oboe and piano. 
Yeah, this is a great example of, as I said earlier, James Austin Smith introducing me to this composer and this piece. I heard the name Andrew Norman, but I didn't really know anything about him. And he, I trust James, I respect and love James. And he said, this is a great piece. Let's do it. And we listened and Pedro agreed to learn it. And so we have this sort of Spoleto cooking analogy coming together where they bring their own parts of the meal. All right. Well, let's welcome James Austin Smith, Oboe, and Pedro Muzievich to the stage. Muzievich is the pianist for Andrew Norman's Garden of Follies. Thank you. 
I love James backstage before walking on. He's like, he's, you know, <laughs> he says, it's one of those pieces. But come on, be honest. If I had come to you yesterday and said, you know, tomorrow's program's going to start uh, with a piece by Norman for oboe and piano, would you have ever imagined it was that much fun, that quirky, that, that beautiful? Isn't that amazing? To be part of creating new, cool stuff like that. And in the hands of Pedro and James, it becomes a real tour de force, really tremendous. Now, this next bit of program music is, well, it's almost too much fun. But we're going to play it anyway. This is George Philip Telemann at his most whimsical. It's a piece based on and inspired by the Cervantes novel Don Quixote. Or, this is from 1605, two versions, 1605, or two volumes, I should say. Sorry, Cervantes experts. Um, the, the official title, which I love, The Ingenious Gentleman, Don Quixote of La Mancha. That's the official title. And, this, and I also love the reason for his journey. You know, Don Quixote becomes this sort of crazed knight guy. And the reason because he read way too many books. <laughs> books about chivalry, and it went to his head. And he decided to go off in these travels. He had a sidekick, Sancho Panza. And basically, there are six, seven, if you count the minuet, descriptive movements following Don Quixote and his, his partner, his pal Sancho Panza, on their ex excursions and picking moments in the story to describe, musically speaking. And we have a party band ready, I think. Yes. We have Tony Manzo, Christopher Costanza, Leslie Robertson, myself, and Livia Sohn. Let's welcome the band to the stage.
I have a very large record collection. I have about 10,000 LPs in my living room. And I've been inspired through the years by, well, listening to people from long ago. And one of the most powerfully inspirational musicians on record is pianist Sergei Rachmaninoff. If you haven't had a chance to check out some of his recordings, um, he made some sonata recordings with Fritz Kreisler, which is tied into an earlier part of our program. He made recordings of all his concertos and his piano music, but one of the most remarkably expressive, yet totally controlled individuals ever. I so wish I could have seen him live. And you hear the records and you think, he's a madman. He must be totally out of control. Rubato. Do you know what that word means? The idea that simply, if a beat is in one, two, three, four, you can push and pull the beat. One, two, three, four, so that the amount of time it takes to get through the bar is the same, but you're bending. Rubato basically meaning to steal. Rachmaninoff is the master. But my teacher heard him play live in Budapest in the 1920s and said he came out, he looked like something out of a Halloween party. He was tall and gaunt, and he sat at the piano without moving a single muscle. It was terrifying, its intensity, but the music that flowed from him was, is, was incredible. So if you have a chance, just YouTube, whatever it is, but his playing is so inspired, and I've learned so much through the years from listening to Rachmaninoff. Luckily, he wrote down a lot of this stuff, most of it written for himself to play, and this sonata is no exception. 1901, it was written, and it's just to be clear, and Rachmaninoff was particular, it's not a cello sonata. It's a sonata for piano and cello, or cello and piano. Really two equal voices, and you'll hear that. The melodies equally shared between the instruments. Rachmaninoff himself played the premiere, and the work was really overshadowed by the premiere of his second piano concerto, if you know that, one of the great masterpieces of the repertoire. But this piece is so filled with pure emotion. I mean, you're going to be on a roller coaster ride of joy, sorrow, anguish, pain, ecstatic. It's, it's an amazing journey. Very few composers could write tunes like Rachmaninoff. And I'm sorry, I apologize ahead of time. They're going to be stuck in your head. <laughs> Four movements. You'd be fine, but just in case, there's a slow introduction, an allegro. The scherzo is the second movement. The third movement, the slow movement on Dante, again, one of the incredible melodies ever composed. And the final movement, uh, uh, allegro molto, to end. So, we are ready on their own. They are all powerful, but put them together, a force to be reckoned with. Please welcome cellist Elisa Weilerstein, Pianist Enon Barnaton.
That was the remarkable journey that is the sonata for cello and piano in G minor, opus 19, by Sergei Rachmaninoff, played magnificently by Elisa Weilerstein, cello, and Inan Barnaton, piano. Part of the joy that is Spoleto USA chamber music is the camaraderie, the, the coming together of all these characters and sharing not only music, but food and stories and I, I love this idea, Bradley, that you've had a chance to talk to some of the musicians in the, in the past few weeks. I did. And, and when you're talking about food, well, this one person in particular is something of your group chef, as I understand. Janice uh, Pejo Muzievich is very nearly as much a fixture of the Spoleto Festival USA Chamber Music Series as chamber music itself. Uh, performed in it for 12 years. Like so many others, he joined me recently from New York City. Pedro, I have to say, it's really great to speak to you again. It's great to be with you, Bradley, and to be with all the listeners. It's sadly as close as I can get this year to Charleston. Yeah, it, it really is sad, and it's, it's been a strange couple of weeks. How have you been doing? You know, it's so interesting. On one hand, well, first of all, I'm healthy, so I'm grateful for that. I have a beautiful apartment. I have food. But I'm sure I'm not the only one who uses this phrase to say that I feel like I'm on pause. And I feel like I haven't really processed any of these losses, like losses of places I go to, people I see. I just feel like I'm sort of going day by day and trying, you know. So so it's a kind of bizarre. On one hand, I feel great. And on the other hand, I feel very sad. I think that mixture of feelings, kind of uh, maybe bittersweet or, or ambivalency is, is definitely something that's uh been noticed by a lot of people, myself included. Now, you're one of quite a few musicians who have found their way to New York. I think most of the Spoleto artists I've spoken with so far have been within the city, but your musical journey didn't start there. It really didn't even start in the United States, right? No, I was born in, in former Yugoslavia or what is now Bosnia, and then I um, went to school in Zagreb, which is what is now Croatia. It was at that time still the same country. And then in 1984, I came to the United States, first to Philadelphia, then to Baltimore, and then to New York in 87. And when I graduated from Juilliard, I stayed. The war in Bosnia happened just in the 90s. So, you know, it wasn't even an option to go back. And, you know, like, I guess, like with so many people, certain there, it's a combination of what you want and where you find yourself and where you kind of <laughs> succeed in staying. So here I am. But music was the primary motivator for that move, aside from the events of war, which kept you from going back. I came to continue my education here. And then in schools and the festivals that I started going to, I met colleagues, including people like St. Lawrence Quartet. And we create these bonds and, and uh, ask each other to play together here and there. And then that sort of multiplies and then becomes a career, I suppose, such a grown-up word. But it's been, yeah, it's been incredibly joyful, actually. Your commitment to the breadth of keyboard literature is borne out not only in your Spoleto Festival performances, chamber series, and in other uh, settings, but also in projects that you've done, like the Haydn Dialogues, featuring Haydn sonatas alternated with works by John Cage and Morton Feldman, and also in a project called Sonatas and Other Interludes, which is kind of a similar concept, but with more common practice composers other than Haydn represented there. I have to ask, is is there any corner of the piano repertoire that you don't much care for or 
don't play, or is it really just all fair game for you? There are not many things I don't care for, but there are things that I don't play because I don't think I do them justice. So I don't play like very big romantic works like Rachmaninoff and Tchaikovsky. I did when I was younger, but I'm a pianist. I don't have anything to contribute, period. I mean, the the field is crowded, but I, I don't, I feel like I don't have anything to say there, but um, I love to hear it. So maybe you feel like you can share a bit more when it comes to, say, something like the Haydn dialogues, where, where there's Haydn piano sonatas and alongside John Cage, than with, you know, Tchaikovsky's piano concerto number one, or, you know, the rock three or something. Well, I guess I'm I'm always more interested in contrasts than similarities when I when it comes to programming. For instance, in the case of Haydn, I feel that Haydn is a very underrated composer when it comes to piano music. There are you know a few sonatas that get played, but there's a lot of them. Now, the interesting fact is that I think he wrote a lot of them as more or less disposable material, and not all of them are great. They're wonderful to hear once or something, but they may not bear all that much repeating. But there's more than we hear that I think are worth hearing. So that got me interested as a kind of starting point. But then, frankly, when I hear one Haydn sonata, I don't want to hear another one. I've been quoted many times to say, when you eat a hamburger, you really don't want to eat a meatloaf after that. I wanted something different. And so then I started exploring what that different might be. So that's how that was born. The diversity you go for and you, this mix and match quality you mentioned, I mean, that extends as well to the instrument under your fingertips. I mean, I'm thinking it might be fairer to call you a, a keyboardist than just a pianist since you play harpsichord and these historic forte pianos as well. You said that Jeff Nuttall of the St. Lawrence String Quartet is the one who kind of pushed you into harpsichord playing. I was kicking and screaming. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's that's been a part of your Spoleto Festival USA experience too. A lot. So Jeff and I are both huge fans of Baroque music. And so there's so much repertoire that we get to go through in Charleston, which is just so joyful and interesting. And, you know, Baroque music was wild. You know, we somehow, or at least I always thought that the free music was romantic music. But Baroque music was just wild in its range of expressions. And they invented putting papers under the strings of double bass or string instruments to create, you know, battle noises like in Beaver Battaglia and, I mean, Vivaldi, Four Seasons, when, when you know, they become such music, but they, when you when you read the poetry and read the scores, they are out there. So it's really, really great fun to to discover that. And and also, you mentioned your relationship with Jeff. Is, is he the one that got you involved with Spoleto Festival altogether? Yes, yes. I've come to Charleston because of Jeff, and I have kept coming back to Charleston because of Jeff, both because he's kind enough to invite me, but also because I just, it's, it's one of my favorite places to make music. It's where, you know, an incredibly tightly knit group of friends and there's a camaraderie, both in music making and outside of music making. It is decidedly a boot camp. I mean, we work a lot, but the satisfaction rate is really, really immense. So I come out of it exhausted, but so elated because it's just so incredibly satisfying. And also notwithstanding the volume of work, because we do present 33 concerts of 11 different programs in two weeks, 
the dedication to excellence and i mean no rehearsal is cut short people are really just there to give it 200% and so that that is really so invigorating so all of these like you know the <laughs> the days that can have like 14 hours of work and you know where you just feel like i'm going to pass out and there's an 8am dress rehearsal tomorrow but in the second week where we all feel like oh my god i <laughs> I don't know. I do have to put my shoes on and walk on stage. <laughs> but it's really, it's so wonderfully satisfying. Well, and and as you're saying, obviously you stay very busy getting the music where it needs to be and, and, and playing with everyone. But you, you do have a little time for a little bit of fun. And from past conversations, I know that Charleston's culinary scene is a big part of that, quote, free time <laughs> during the festival for you and the other performers. And, uh, you know, you all probably make those reservations for the downtown restaurants a little harder to get. But you also add to the culinary scene yourself because you're kind of the, the chamber music de facto chef, right? <laughs> so I do love to cook for people. And uh, it's funny because in the last couple of years, the the artist dinner that I was cooking would, would actually appear on the rehearsal schedule because it had to sort of be a time where I was either off. I didn't have, you know, rehearsals that afternoon, which is really, it's such a wonderful way to let some steam out and be together. It's just joyful. And and I do have to say, I mean, none of this would function without the support of, of the audience in Charleston. First of all, the support we get at Dock Street Theater, just, you know, people being there, supporting us on the street, you know, I'll ride my bike and somebody will, you know, street crossing, say, great concert this morning. <laughs> We've also invaded various Charleston friends with culinary needs, like my oven is broken down. <laughs> Can I come over now with three trays? <laughs> it's just been such a wonderful uh, community for that really, really supports us in so many different ways. What's next for you in the immediate future? So anything in the next couple of weeks you're working on or excited about? Yeah, so I'm preparing to film this this program for Spoleto that will be on the website. So I will play for Spoleto a work by Johann Sebastian Bach, a work by Henry Cowell, and a work by Carl Philipp Emanuel Bach. And then I was supposed to play a recital called Bach Family Album for the Orchestra of St. Luke's Bach Festival here in New York in June. And they asked me also to film something, so I will record a piece each by Johann Sebastian, Wilhelm Friedman, and Carl Philipp Emanuel Bach, different from the music I'm playing for Spoleto. Well, Peja, all best as you bring some more of that uh, music by CPE Bach and others to light in the next couple of weeks. And also, you know, I look forward to hopefully seeing you again in person sooner rather than later. And, and thanks so much for speaking today. Thank you so much for asking me to be with you and with the listeners. It's uh it got me really, really, uh, well, emotional, I guess is the word about Charleston and not being there this year. And I do hope we can all be together soon. That was part of a conversation I had with pianist and regular Spoleto Festival USA Chamber Music Series performer, Peja Muzievich. Great hearing from him, not just about the music, but about all those other facets of life during the festival. Man, I love Peja. It's it's like we've grown up together. You know, I remember sleeping on his couch in his divey studio apartment in in Manhattan in the, in the 1990s, and we've come a long way together. And we've we've shared a lot of music and a lot of wine, a lot of food, and 
we really see eye to eye on so many things. But he's he's an inspiring presence. He's he's so knowledgeable and so passionate about so many different art forms and other aspects of life. So he's he's a constant inspiration to me. Spoleto Backstage is made possible in part by Bank of America and the ETV Endowment of South Carolina. Special thanks to Spoleto Festival USA. The engineer for this podcast is Duke Marcos. The producer is A.T. Shire. The executive producer is Sherry Hutchinson. I'm Bradley Fuller. I'm Jeff Nuttall. And until next time, take care.